there's anything I can tell you, is that the best place to hide is in your mind. Hi everyone, it's Hannah, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Correspondence. This time it is just me, but I'm sitting down with Kristen from the YouTube channel Perks of a Book Flower. Thank you, Kristen, so much for being with me this morning. Um, for listeners who don't know you, what is it that you do? Tell me a little bit about your channel and your background. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I am... I have a YouTube channel. It's a booktube channel. So I talk specifically about books called Perks of a Book Flower, which is inspired by the book, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and also the fact that I love both books and flowers so much. So on my channel, I give a wide variety of bookish content that ranges from like book hauls, where I show the amount of books that I have, um, and then book reviews, and also reading vlogs, where I talk about books and live my life. <laughs> Nice. And how long have you been doing the channel? Six months. I started, so I did AuthorTube where I talked more about writing, but that was like seven months ago. And I realized that my heart really is just in talking about the books that I'm reading instead of the ones I'm writing. So in November, I began BookTube. Nice. So what kind of reader are you? What, what are your uh, perfect books? What's your genres that you like? Oh, okay. So I love historical fiction. I would say it's probably one of my favorites. Um, but also, I love hard-hitting contemporary. So when you think of books like A Man Called Owe or Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. I like any kind of contemporary book that I think really delves deep into character analysis and almost like a social commentary aspect on society. Um, so when I say contemporary, I do like the whole gambit that ranges from like light and fluffy to um, dark and and um, very analytical almost. I love all of that. <laughs> and then I know you just said, what is my favorite genre? But I also um, really like literary fiction, which is a third genre. But I just enjoy kind of a slow burn, stretched out story as well. So all of those, not all just one. Well, uh, that's funny that you mentioned A Man Called Ove or Ove. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but that's one of my favorite books, too. I love Friedrich Bachmann. Um, and that book, I think it kind of sums up what you were saying, how you like kind of the dramatic serious but also lighthearted because that book is perfectly that it's like I laughed on one page and I cried on the next I was like I know and it's so funny that you mentioned Frederick Bachman because I just finished reading Beartown last night and it was amazing like I oh my gosh I it's part of the reason I stayed up until two in the morning because I couldn't stop reading it's one of my new favorite books of all time and it makes me think that Frederick Bachman is going to be like my new favorite author of all time <laughs> I love Beartown I read it a couple of years ago um there is a sequel uh us against you or something something like that but it's set in the same the same town so I'm excited for you to hopefully read that one next yeah I, I'm on a mission now I have to read everything that Friedrich Bachman has ever written to make sure that he's really my favorite author <laughs> yeah you can't judge just by one or two books you gotta get the full the full gambit of things Mm -hmm. But I find that the more that I'm reading books, the more I'm really able to distinguish like really specifically what I like. And it does seem that Frederick Bachman, the way that he focuses so much on like characters and character, character portrayal, um, I think that he might be my favorite. <laughs> 
feel the same way. I, I think I'm definitely learning more about what I like in books as I read more of them. And I think I similarly really appreciate those good character notes where the author just makes some observation about a person in the story. And you're like, wow, that like, how could they know that without having lived their life? I know. Um, so other than Beartown, what have you been reading lately? Okay. Well, so I've been reading a lot recently of contemporaries and historical fiction. Um, before Beartown, I actually read Where the Sidewalk Ends and The Little Prince. They were both rereads. Um, and I just wanted to like revisit some old favorites from when I was younger. Um, I will tell you, Where the Sidewalk Ends did not age well with me. <laughs> no, that's tragic. What about it didn't age well? I don't know. So there, the thing about Where the Sidewalk Ends is that a lot of the poems are really, like, really silly. And I loved that when I was a kid. Um, but I found that some of the poems, like, there was one about just, like, this stack of pancakes and how big it was. <laughs> and, like, I get that, but I don't know. What I really liked about Where the Sidewalk Ends is that interspersed throughout kind of all of that silliness and, and um, playfulness were, like, these surprisingly deep poems. There was one called like love or something and or even just the poem where the sidewalk ends where I was like hit in the face with like this profound message but I just think that I didn't love it as much as I did when I was younger because I'm getting older I don't know oh. it's kind of sad that is sad I haven't done too many rereads of like childhood favorite books I mean I try to reread Harry Potter pretty much every year but I don't think that really counts as like a kid's book. So it would be interesting to go back and, and reread some of the books I liked in middle school and see if they held up. Yeah. I mean, they're like the thing about Where the Sidewalk Ends, though, is that that book is not for me. You know, it's, it's kind of for children. And I think that I can appreciate like that as well. I don't know. It, it's conflicting feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done any other rereads lately? Yes, I am rereading Harry Potter right now as well. As you mentioned, I try to do a reread once a year. Um, and so I am in Goblet of Fire right now, and I've just been rereading through um, audiobooks and things like that. And I love them. Every time I read Harry Potter, it's like returning home, you know, returning to a, a younger piece of myself. And it just means so much. <laughs> It does, but at the same time, I also wish, like, I could read it for the first time again. Yeah. If, you know, reading it as a kid, I think that I read the first one when I was in, like, kindergarten, and you don't appreciate what a good book it is, so I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back now as a 25-year-old and be like, oh, this book really is good. Yes, and there's something about experiencing a story for the first time that is just so special. I mean, that's like your first truest reaction. The first time you really don't know what's going to happen because now I know everything that's going to happen in uh, Harry Potter, but it doesn't make the experience less enjoyable. No. And there is something to be said for like going back and rereading the first one, knowing what happens in book seven and seeing like how she laid the foundation for that. Yes. I've been noticing recently um, a lot of like in Prisoner of Azkaban, the Ron and Hermione relationship starting to kind of like build up and like get complicated that somehow just like surpassed me before. So I love seeing all of the, the craft and the writing that you get to notice on a reread. Right. So you mentioned um, audiobooks too. Are you an audiobook listener regularly? Do you have a preference? 
Yes. So I consume so many books. Um, and one of the ways that I'm able to do so is through audiobook. I think my preference is always going to be physically reading. Um, I heard I heard it described one time that when you read a book, it's like it's all going on in your brain. And when you listen to an audiobook, it's like it's going on around the top of your brain. And I don't know if I like agree 100% with that. But either way, I love audiobooks. And so um, they help me read so much around the house and things like that. Um, but yeah, my preference is a physical book. And I also really enjoy ebooks because honestly, I can get way more comfortable like when I'm reading just on my phone, like I can curl up in all these positions that I can't with a book. But preference is physical books because I just that's how I started reading and I like to collect books too and kind of have this like mark of them on my walls. So. I know I'm so jealous of your bookshelves. They look amazing. I just don't have space for them in, in my room right now. <laughs> yeah, I just now have been able to even have space like this. Um, but yeah, they're Billy bookshelves from Ikea. Nice. Yeah, they look so nice and clean and just yeah. uh, a great way to showcase your collection. Have you read every book on your shelves? Okay. So I try to read almost all of them. I have one shelf that is completely a TBR shelf. So those, not read. And out of my classic books, I know that there are 10 of them that I haven't read. And then all the rest of them I have read minus um, some like collections that are anthologies of books that I haven't. But for the most part, they stay on my shelf when I read them. Okay. That's impressive that you only have one TBR shelf. I think it's easy to get a lot of those. Yeah, I um, yeah, I just haven't, but I want to one day have a, one of those cute TBR carts that people have. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love those so much. My friend owns a bookstore and she has some of those and I'm just like, oh, I want one so bad. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, Going back a little bit, you mentioned ebooks. I've not been able to get into ebooks yet. I, something just about staring at my phone screen. I think it's the blue light or whatever. But I have really gotten into audiobooks. I think it makes it so much easier to consume even more than I would normally because you can listen to them when you're driving, when you're cleaning the house, all of that. Um, my only preference with audiobooks is it has to be something that, like, it doesn't matter if I get distracted or it will keep me engaged through the distraction if that makes sense because I my mind tends to wander sometimes oh. and it's harder to um I think go back and find your place in an audiobook whereas with a, if that happens in a book you can just like skim back a couple paragraphs and be like oh this is where I lost my place <laughs> I 100% know what you mean that's why rereading Harry Potter is so good for audiobooks because like I know the story if I even if I get distracted it doesn't matter um, I have heard that advice that helps with audiobook listening is to um, use headphones when you do it or like earbuds or something. It keeps the story kind of more contained and you hear like less of the distracting noises because like I listen to audiobooks when I wash my dishes. And um, sometimes like I just get distracted just by like the sound of like, I don't know, cleaning dishes. <laughs> so um, when I have earbuds in, it really does cancel everything else out and make it easier. That's a good idea. I'll have to try that when yeah. I'm, next time I'm cleaning the house or whatever, because I tend to like um, connect it to a Bluetooth speaker, which is even harder because then I'll leave the speaker somewhere and be walking around the house and sometimes it's not as loud. So yeah, headphones would definitely help, I think. And another thing, um, thrillers, so good for 
audiobooks, I think, because of the nature of those stories, I feel like, I don't know, I don't know if it's just like super engaging or something about the writing not being too dense, I'm not sure, um, but I've never had a problem staying focused when I listen to a thriller on audiobook, but some, like I've tried literary fiction novels, um, like recently I read, I listened to Days of Distraction as an audiobook and had the worst time focusing. <laughs> yeah, well, I think genre plays a big part too in like paying attention with an audiobook. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever listened to a thriller on audiobooks. So I'll have to try that one. What are some of your favorite thrillers? Uh, okay, so instantly comes to my mind, of course, Jillian Flynn. I know that's like the big answer. Um, Gone Girl was the first book I listened to. And then also Sharp Objects. And I think that's all the Jillian Flynn I've listened to. Um, but I also really liked Woman in the Window. And yeah, Woman in the Window, which is not by Jillian Flynn. But that's another one I like. Okay. Yeah, one of our um, early episodes is on Jillian Flynn because I'm a huge, like, thriller fan, um, and she's one of the best, in my opinion. The interesting thing about her is I actually accidentally watched all of the, like, film adaptations and TV adaptations of her books before I read them. <laughs> so I think the first one I actually read was Sharp Objects, um, and I was wa watching the HBO series at the same time, and... Then I read Gone Girl, and then I read Dark Places, and I thought I hadn't seen Dark Places, but as I was reading the book, I was like, this seems like a movie I saw once. <laughs> so I was like, ah, oh, so I kind of gave away the ending, but they were still really good books. Yeah, I remember reading Gone Girl and thinking to myself, because it was my first thriller, and I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to have a better one. <laughs> Just it's a really good one. Gone Girl is a little bit different, I think, because it's not like as... It's obviously a bigger book than some of her other ones, so it takes longer to get through, but I think it's also just, like, a really interesting character analysis, and it's kind of got, like, a satirical element to it, where it's, like, poking fun at modern relationships and, and marriages. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I think it was the twist. I just, I didn't know anything about the book. Like, I went to it blind, and so I was just shocked the whole time it was it was so good it was a thriller that just evoked so much like of a reaction for me while reading it yeah I think you're spot on with that uh <laughs> in terms of reaction like the whole time I was reading it I'm like I don't know who to root for in this book I hate everybody I love whenever I hate characters in books I think that when that happens like one the author must have done a really good job like creating this character to get that reaction from me in the first place um and two it's just interesting to like I don't know explore why you hate people and like see that in a book I think it shows like more mature writing too because it's hard to make readers stay engaged with characters they don't like and don't feel sympathy for yeah yeah, she's, def she's definitely a good one, and I hope she comes out with some more books soon, because I need some summer reading. <laughs> so, um, you read a lot of YA, too, and I don't think we've talked about that. Um, is that something, like, did you start out reading that in middle school and stuff? How, how did that kind of evolve? My experience is so funny. I started off reading classics. Um, I know. Well, minus, like, those things I read when I was little, like Magic Treehouse and Nancy Drew, I really began reading when I read Romeo and Juliet when I was 13. And I was like, oh, 
oh my gosh, this is it for me. Like, I want to like read books like this my whole life. So then I dived right into books that I thought would be like that. And for some reason, I just thought, you know, Jane Austen, I'd heard a lot about Jane Austen. So then I went through maybe Pride and Prejudice. And then I read Jane Eyre. And I kept kind of like realizing, okay, these are the books I want to read. So I missed a lot of reading YA when I was a young adult, because I was focusing so much on classic books. Um, and I didn't really get into it until I was probably like in my, like when I was 19 is when I read Harry Potter for the first time. I know. <laughs> um, and I, I read the Hunger Games when I was young. Like I read those big books, but for the most part, I was spending my time reading like classics. Um, so yeah. I'm just picturing like little Kristen going around like quoting from Jane Eyre and stuff <laughs> at like your parents' parties or whatever. I know, basically that's how it was. I was a weird kid. I had, I mean, I didn't have anyone to talk to about the books I was reading. I can tell you that. <laughs> but I think that's super unique because that's totally the opposite of how it normally goes. Like I started reading young adult fiction way before I was probably like old enough for it. So like reading, I don't know if you ever read the Ellen Hopkins books and stuff. Mm -mm. She writes, they're like, um, sort of like freeform poetry almost, um, but about like super dark topics like drugs and stuff. And I started reading those when I was like 10, basically. And oh. then just fell in love with YA fiction after that. So I read like the Hunger Games when it came out basically um, and all of that stuff. And it was always like my goal to add more classics in outside of what I was reading in school, because I think that came from like my mom a lot. She was like, okay, you need to stop reading this fluff and, and read serious books and stuff. But it was always so hard. Yeah. I'm not even sure what it was that drew me to classics. Honestly, like I, I'm not like some like kind of, I don't know, highbrow person at all. Um, but I just, they like connected to me I did like a lot of like historical tv shows and movies I watched and and maybe that contributed to like these older kind of stories but regardless yeah that's how I started <laughs> were you able to understand them pretty well even when you were way younger I don't know I, I mean I remember liking the stories and wanting to keep reading them but now that I'm older and like I've reread Jane Eyre and I've reread Romeo and Juliet I think that there's no way I could have really appreciated like the stories as much as I, I do now and that there must have been times when I was like really confused <laughs> you're like oh this must make sense somehow I'll just skim past it I remember whenever I found out that there was a no no fear Shakespeare version of the Shakespeare plays that I remember that being like a big relief to me like I would um, I would use that to help me understand Shakespeare better <laughs> oh nice is that like an online tool or something uh yeah it's online but also Barnes and Noble will sell like editions of the Shakespeare plays that have like side by side so the original text and then like a modern English no fear Shakespeare that's so cool. I'll have to try that because Shakespeare has always been like really hard for me. I've only ever read it in school settings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And honestly, now I, I can't really see myself like going back and reading Shakespeare for, for fun. Like I'm just not that of a diehard, but for some reason, 13 year old me just had to read Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Your English teachers must have loved you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they do. And now I'm an English teacher. So. Oh, what did you say? And now I'm an English teacher, so. Okay, that's so cool. What grade do you teach? Sixth grade. 
So they're 11. So we can't really talk about Shakespeare, but we have a fun time talking about Diary of a Wimpy Kid. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so do you get to like choose reading lists and stuff for your kids? How does that work? Yes. So I have a classroom library and I have like control over, I mean, normally I like my students to pick what they are interested in because that's the best way to grow as a lifelong reader. Um, but we have like curriculum that I have to teach. So there are specific books like um, Hatchet and Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. Um, but then I really let them pick independent books that they read in my class and do work with too. Nice. What are some of the ones that they're choosing right now? Because obviously I'm not in school anymore, so I don't know what kids these days are reading. Kids love spooky books. Um, Mar Margaret Haddix or Mary Haddix, I can't remember her name, but that's some of their favorite books, like thrillers, ghost stories, like even just a little hint of murder. <laughs> like, <laughs> a, like a dark a hint of murder, not, not a lot of murder. <laughs> so those are so huge. But also graphic novels, like kids, honestly, my 11-year-olds love graphic novels so much. So Diary of a Wimpy Kid, um, and also like the girls love the Raina Tegelmeyer graphic novels so much, like Smile and Guts. Um, those are always the first to go, Diary of Wimpy Kids and the Tegelmeyer graphic novels. And then the spooky stories and also anything to do with dogs. <laughs> so like... A dog's purpose. Um, I think his name is Bruce Cameron or something. Uh, yeah. Dog stories. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Margaret Haddix, I think she was around when I was reading books in school because she wrote the Among the Hidden series, right? Or am I thinking of a different author? No, I think that's that's it. Um, and I think that's the same person, although honestly, I could be wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> I think she, I think it's still her and I think they still like her books. <laughs> Oh, and obviously Diary of a Wimpy Kid has been around forever too. So it's funny to see what kind of uh, transcends the generations, basically. I will say that um, Captain Underpants has not seemed to stand the test of time for some reason, though. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know that I would count that as a loss necessarily. <laughs> I know. So um, from a teacher perspective, what do you think about like the, the future of reading? Because I know people always seem to have the impression that people aren't reading as much as they used to but do you see a love of reading in your kids yes in the sixth grade i do and i think that something happens between when they're younger and when they start to get older that they grow out of it because my 11 year olds are excited about stories and for them they're still reading books that are on a for the most part, that aren't too challenging, too complicated for them. So they're just loving stories, which is like a human thing. We love stories. We watch so much TV, you know. But I think as we kind of get older in education, I feel like there starts to become a disconnect. Of students are kind of moved forward without being ready to or like encountering texts that they don't like or not being encouraged to read books of their own choosing that really interest them. I think that starts to just make them say, oh, I hate reading. Or if they're reading books that are too hard for them, oh, I can't, I can't do this, I hate reading. But <laughs> it's so sad because I also taught like on a high school level for student teaching. So I've seen, you know, the difference between sixth graders who are so excited to get a new book to read and um, juniors who like, ugh, read. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, I think, 
I think it's probably the being forced to read something or being forced to read something that you're not necessarily interested in. Luckily, I kept like reading the books I liked on the side. Yeah. So like I kind of suffer through uh, crime and punishment or whatever for AP English. And then I'd go home and read like, I don't know, whatever the latest YA book was. But I, I really appreciated all of my high school teachers had one, at least one self-chosen book project throughout the the semester um and actually my AP English like final paper was on perks of being a wallflower um, as a modern day bildungsroman so I really spun that one <laughs> um I think the trend in education is actually the fact that choice should be included more in students reading like as as we're continuing there's like been so much research done that the best thing to make students become better readers is to let them read books that they want to because i don't at that point it's not a chore it's enjoying the story and like donalyn miller's book um the book whisperer i believe is one that has really been prominent in making that happen just encouraging choice and encouraging lots of time to read so at my school we don't even do like a full novel anymore we just do excerpts and most of what our students do is based off their independent book that they've chosen that they want to read and then we do like graphic organizers off of that or little projects that's really cool i think um doing ex excerpts would be a much more manageable way of like looking at classic literature in particular instead of trying to read like all of Dante's Inferno at one time not that sixth graders would be reading that one I don't know what the sixth grade equivalent is sure. <laughs> um god I forgot what I was going to ask about next is there anything else like education wise that you think is interesting to know about reading right now um besides the fact that I think it's really cool how we're having more like choice I also think it's good that we're having less novel study um, for kind of that same reason. So kind of the same thing that I said. Um, it's good that we're encouraging more choice in student reading. And I think that if we keep doing that, then we're really going to have more lifelong learners. Um, because as soon as students start feeling like they have control over what they're reading and can read something they like, then I think that you'll have a student who is excited about reading and then reading won't be a chore anymore. And then there's like a big you know, hope that that's the kind of entertainment that people will reach for in the future, which bodes well, because at the end of the day, that's, I want my students to be lifelong readers. So um, yes, hoping that that continues to be a trend. Oh, uh, well with a teacher like you, I'm sure it will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, do you have any like personal reading goals for yourself that you set? I know like every year I try to set reading resolutions. Do you have anything that's similar to that? I, so I have like, I pick monthly TBRs for myself and really those are basically, um, like, so to be reads where I want to read in specific genres just to make sure that I'm still reading widely. So I like to read at least one middle grade a month. I like to read and write like a really detailed review for at least one arc a month. Um, it's hard for me to get arcs on that galley, but I'm hoping one day I'll be able to get more. Um, but at least one arc a month, at least one historical fiction, and at least one YA. And then the rest can be whatever. But I just want to make sure that I spread myself into the genres I love and I don't know, so that I'm still always reading widely. Nice. Um, 
I don't know. Well, I guess I sort of have a genre one. Sometimes I try to read like more nonfiction because I will default to thrillers or other novels. Um, I also had a problem. It's not necessarily a problem because read whatever you want. But I noticed that in my reading like yearly counts, I was reading almost exclusively books by women. So I started trying to add male authors in there too. I was like, I need a little more diversity here. Yeah. So yeah, I want to read more poetry too, because that's something I almost never read. Um, so I got some good recommendations on that from a friend, like Amanda Lovelace and stuff. Yes, I just bought her poem, um, Break Your Glass Slippers or something like that book. But I haven't read The Princess Saves Herself in this one, which I know is like the biggest. Yeah, I think that's a, the most well-known one. So yeah, I've got my, my list of like poetry books that might be a little more accessible for someone who doesn't normally read a lot of poetry. Yeah, and then if you ever want to try a 1900s poet, E.E. E. Cummings is just my absolute favorite. Oh my gosh, I'll have to add that to the list. I think I've probably only read that in like high school and stuff when we did the poetry section or whatever. Yeah, that's true. But I think that a lot of his poems are really accessible and like fun and unique. And some of them like are just, they're just beautiful. Nice. Um, and then let's see, I'm curious, are you a library person at all or do you strictly like buy books? So I love the library. I would like to use it more. <laughs> the sad thing is I have a find from when I was seven years old and it was some Arthur book or something. And it's like, it's like $50 at this point. And I oh know, I know, I know, and I know I should pay it. But so I, I think I would definitely be a library girl. I definitely love that libraries exist, but it's like become this point of contention with me where like, I just, that gigantic fine. I don't oh, know. that's so funny. You're just afraid to go in and pay it. I, I wonder if they would like waive part of it at this point. I'm I'm a library user for sure, but I also have a problem returning things on time for some reason. Like I'll finish reading them within the first week and then I'll just forget to take them back. So I tend to rack up like a good $10 worth of fines every year. Um, but luckily my library has this thing around like, I think it's around Thanksgiving or something where they do like half off fines so you can come in and pay yeah. half of it. and or you can bring in like canned food or something. So I wait for those times and then I wipe out my balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, well, I, I need to do that. I feel bad, honestly. It's just some Arthur book or something and I just, I don't know what happened to it 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, I know, they probably, I'm surprised that it even like shows up on your record anymore, honestly. I tried to get a library card in my new town I moved to, and because they're part of the same library system, I can't even get a library card. They're like, you have to pay this fine from 2000 years ago. Like, oh my God. <laughs> That's funny. The, the librarians uh, don't take their job lightly then. No, I understand why. I mean, it, I they, they do need their book. I just... That's $50 is a lot. <laughs> One day I'll do it. One day. Well, uh, in the meantime, where are some of your favorite places to, to shop for books? Are you used bookstore person, indie bookstore? Barnes & Noble, I think, was your latest haul. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't live near any indie bookstores. It's a very sad thing. I know um, I my old town had two, but where I live now, there's 
none. Um, so I have to go to Barnes and Noble, but I love Barnes and Noble. I always have, it's always been like my place I go when I want to have fun. So, um, Barnes and Noble is my favorite, but if I had the option of local indie stores, then I would of course go and support there. I, I love like that as well. Yeah. It's always such a nice atmosphere. I feel very fortunate that I have one in my town. Um, and I have a, another like used bookstore that I like to go to because my grandpa has has a lot of like trade in credit, like a thousand dollars worth basically. Wow. So every time I go there, I just leave with stacks of books and pay nothing, and it barely puts a dent into his trade in balance. Oh, that's amazing. We do have a Goodwill, and Goodwill normally has a good book section. Really, I've yeah. never had good luck at Goodwill in their book section. It's always like very picked through. Oh, maybe it's just the time that I go, uh, I get more option. I don't know. Yeah, you hit them on the like day that they just got all the donations sorted or whatever. Yeah. Well, do you have any like new releases coming up that you're really excited about? Any summer reading lists that you want to share? Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm so excited for Mexican Gothic. Um, I can't remember the author's name right now, but it's coming out at the end of June and it's like um it's kind of like a historical gothic novel about this girl who um goes to this castle and it's like haunted it's written in the traditional gothic novel style but like obviously it's, it's a modern book and I just think it's gonna be so good and the cover is like the most beautiful thing I've seen <laughs> I love a good cover. I, I know you're not supposed to judge a book by the cover, but sometimes that's honestly like why I buy them. Like I um, bought The Bone Houses recently, um, which is a fantasy like YA novel. And I bought it specifically because it had this really cool skull on the front. And I was like, oh, I got to have that. And it turned out to be really good. So. Right. I mean, I've had, I really had a case where like I read a um, a book with like a really gorgeous cover that didn't resonate with me somehow, which I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, maybe it makes sense because if there's like a really good book, they've got a production team behind it. That's probably very skilled because of the quality of the book. So they're able to put more into the cover, which is not to say that like a book with a crappy cover can't be good. But yeah. I think with the books that have really gorgeous covers, it's a result of them like getting into a good publishing house with a good team behind them. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, is there anything else that I should know about you or you want to um, plug your channel? Uh, yeah, I, I can just add that in. Um, if, I've obviously gushed a ton about books. If you would like to hear me gush more about books, my channel is Perks of a Book Flower, and I post new videos every Wednesday and Saturday, and sometimes Mondays when I have no chill, which ends up being very often, so at least twice or three times a week. Nice. Um, and what about social media? Are you on any of the platforms? I am. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I am most active on Twitter. Um, my my name there is just a book flower. And then also on Instagram is perks of a book flower. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I know. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. <laughs> If there's anything I can tell you, is that the best place to hide is in your mind.